Hello, and welcome to Full Hearts, a podcast that explores the intersection of design leadership, craft, and the Anthropocene. I'm Ricardo Vasquez, and today we'll be talking about the future and how it is all kid stuff. Some days I wake up with nothing in the tank. In days like these, I summon rituals to help me find creativity within. A cup of coffee, a music playlist aptly titled You Got This, an exercise routine, meditation, origami, you name it. I know you've been there too. We designers wake up for the promise of creativity. Sometimes it shows up and sometimes we make it show up. What makes me proud, however, is the courage that we all show, the courage that we need, in continuing past our first, second, and third failed efforts in order to create a wonderful solution. Courage is a willingness to be uncomfortable in the moment in order to affect something, to sit next to it, and despite it, positively affect the experiences that we're passionate about delivering. That's what makes me the most proud. Our wonderful ability to fulfill that promise to ourselves. The promise that we're going to see the problem through. The promise that we will conjure up creativity when days are gloomy and we just don't feel it. I want to talk about just that today. Creativity. I also want to talk about play and how the two share an unbreakable bond. Now you probably became a designer because you were hooked. You were hooked with the feeling of taking the leap. You're here because even though you know how scary it is to enter a design problem, not knowing what solution you're going to end up with, you take the leap of lightness. You suspend your disbelief. And if we recall, this is just what we did when we were kids. We enabled and motivated ourselves with dreams of the impossible. I would like to begin by dispelling some rumors about this topic. Play is not childish. Play allows us to make sense of the world around us. Play sends us to a moment in time where anything is possible. It also has a unique quality of being human. It allows us to make sense of many complex feelings. A great example of this is in the 9-11 Museum in New York. In the middle of the two main exhibitions at the bedrock of the museum lies an impressive art installation by artist Spencer Finch. Sitting at a monumental 40 feet high, this fragile piece of work is a reminder. The installation itself consists of 2,983 watercolor squares, each its own shade of blue. Each square represents one victim, their uniqueness, their individuality, yet how bound they are by the fabric of humankind. The installation is titled, Trying to Remember the Color of the Sky on that September Morning. Within the square lies a quote by Roman poet Virgil. It says, no day shall erase you from the memory of time. The artwork as a whole revolves around the idea of memory. Our own perception of the color blue might not be the same as that of another person, but just like our perception of color, our memories can share a common point of reference. Spencer Finch used play, plain and simple, beautiful, innocent, and joyful. Play at the literal heart of immense crisis and despair. Play can also be human, and it can be deeply moving as well. It can also allow us to subvert the status quo. Among many examples of the latter lies the following piece of art, The Daddies by Canadian Cree artist Kent Monkman. Monkman used a very well-known Canadian painting called Fathers of Confederation by Rex Woods. This is a mostly accurate reproduction of Woods's painting with one key difference, a naked indigenous man in stiletto heels gesturing from the stool in front of the group. 
Monkman used a playful and jarring juxtaposition to communicate subversion of queer and indigenous identity. Play is human. The reason why these two examples are so poignant is because these issues are not childish. These issues are complex. They are multi-threaded. They are reactive. Yet both artists have chosen to use play as a tactic to make sense of tragic and complex issues facing our society today. And play doesn't have to solve complex issues, of course. Play can also be used to offer the lasting bit of delight. Let's talk about Grey Jones. Grey Jones is a company that makes beautiful pots and pans. I really do believe that Pentagram, the design agency behind this brand identity, used play in their creative process, from hover interactions to decorative illustrations to humorous microcopy in their marketing and order update emails. Play is absolutely everywhere. This company is having fun. Quite lovely, isn't it? Seeing others having fun. Now that we've taken a look at how impactful play can be, let's now look at its definition and see how we can use it. Most importantly, let's see how kids use play. Donald Winnicott, English pediatrician and psychologist, said the following. Without hallucinating, the child puts out a sample of dream potential and lives with this sample in a chosen setting of fragments from personal realities. I don't know about you, but this sounds badass. In other words, what Winnicott is saying is that when a child is engaged in play, they take material from their inner reality or dream world and they place it directly onto external reality. They are hallucinating in real time. I would like you to envision a Venn diagram. On the left sits external reality. On the right, dream reality. In the middle of the spheres, you got it, play. The intersection, this Venn diagram, is as healthy as ever when we're kids. However, as adults, over time, instead of being attracted to, instead of exploring new and exciting environments to make that intersection bigger, we instead begin to hone in only on the things that we know and are relevant to us. This, however, narrows our field of vision, making ourselves close-minded, closing the door on this dream world. This leads us to us feeling a lot more like misshaped spheres. In the absence of dreams, we lose access to creativity. And as adults, we train ourselves to be systems that exploit rather than systems that explore. A system that exploits just pays attention to the things that are most relevant to its own goals. A system that explores, however, goes out and looks to find all kinds of information that might be relevant. Kids do this to perfection. I'm afraid that most of us have become really efficient exploiting systems. We know what to look for. And while there is nothing wrong with efficiency, the biggest side effect is tunnel vision, an aversion to seeing things in a new way. It is easy to be in this loop. We're caught between the now and then. We don't look up anymore. The need to be connected keeps our head down. It's the most logical choice. We exploit the need to be connected in this field. Something happens though. Our work begins to suffer. It is as if we can harness the beauty of the world and transfer it into pixels. This is never easy to begin with, but it becomes a larger than life task. I remember when I was young, inspiration came much easier. I used to marvel at the mundane, the way a box's flaps closed in such a way to provide a secure latch. It puzzled me for hours. It still does. Or the way a loose faucet releases just one drop at a time. Just one. Mundane things like these gave me fuel to imagine a world and think in the most imaginative ways possible. It is quite a curious thing though. The fact that the mundane gives us the most fuel for creativity. 
Nowadays, we seek to be saturated with Netflix, video games, Snapchat, Instagram. We think this will be the answer to imagination. But really, what we're doing is impeding the dream world from entering into our minds. We're satiating our need to explore by taking a look at a couple of YouTube videos. When I was younger, I dreaded being bored. So I used to focus on faces like my grandfather's. I would mimic postures like that of my grandmother as she cooked us breakfast. I remember being young and in love, in love with the world around me. I loved committing things to memory. Remembering, mimicking, and marveling helped me architect my own reality. Today, we rely on systems that exploit to help us remember. We've begun to lose an essential aspect of our survival, memory itself. Just take a look at memories, a brain-like feature in Snapchat where memories are beckoned in order to be shelved away, stored and forgotten until this system that exploits reminds you. These are type of systems that we need to avoid because without memories, imagination and play cannot survive. Memory is closely linked to both of those. When was the last time we used memory as a tool for a creative process? Perhaps this question is harder to answer, but this next one should be easier. When was the last time you did something for the sake of play? Wendy Chan decided to do something crazy during her sabbatical year away from the tech industry. Having just recently left Apple, Wendy was looking for her next big project, something that would elevate her craft, a place where she could find unstoppable creativity. So while she found her answer, she started playing in her spare time. She started playing with a 365-day project. Her goal? Create one unique knot every single day. At first, she exploited as many books as she could find on the knot-forming techniques of others. Before long, she had become a system of beautiful exploration. Creativity was born out of this project. And that big project where she could find unstoppable creativity was found. This playful act where Wendy began mimicking and marveling the world around her turned into a place where she was no longer mimicking, she was inventing, she was defining, she was forming the world around her, and she became an artist as a result. It is quite clear that Wendy used what I like to call the two-year-old mindset to help her create all this beautiful art. The two-year-old mindset is pretty simple. You simply ask, why? Why this? Why that? Remember one thing, the how enables but the why motivates. Don't we need that in our field? We need that in spades. We need to find some type of North Star with times when there's absolutely nothing guiding us. Answering the why could guide us. Who knew two-year-olds were so groundbreaking? Now, Picasso mentions that every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once they grow up. And he's right. The pressures of society pushes us to disconnect ourselves from each other and any playful opportunity. I will be the first to tell you that there have been periods in my life where I've lost touch with my dream world. I've lost touch with that artistry. Every single person listening to this has the capacity to be an artist because every single person has been one already. Many cognitive abilities and processes occur in pretend play. In short, engaging in pretend play fosters a development in creativity. Pretend play is like any musical, concert, performance, or playoff game that you've ever been to. It is art, and you're witnessing something beautiful. We can measure the amount of fantasy and make-believe in which children engage, their ability to symbolize or transform objects into representations of other objects, like turning 
a box into a castle, for example. And their skill as well at recombining objects, images, and story events. So much so that the narrative becomes fluid, even though the context might not be realistic. Creativity is not concerned with what is right or wrong. Play allows us to manipulate people, objects, mental images, and mental models to compose stories. Play allows an individual to enter an imaginary cave to welcome the unknown, to rehearse a tough scenario, or to recall a memory hidden with deep embedded emotions. Most importantly, play allows us to find a framework for creativity. And the framework is very simple. It's one we've known all of our lives. It is storytelling. Storytelling is a practice as old as time. It's a tradition embedded into us through the last hundreds of thousands of years. This is a practice that enables us to create more significant knowledge by learning the skill of growing deeper understandings. This is what kids do. They constantly frame and reframe experiences into stories, and we can too. There is this wonderful book out there called The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. In this book, which I highly recommend to all of you, Campbell asserts that regardless of story, our collective narrative follows the same process. From Beowulf and Grendel to Harry Potter, the journey is the same. Lucky for us, we can use this very same framework to employ the use of narrative design. For any design sprint or collaboration session you facilitate, apply the hero's journey to frame the goals and expectations of the day. Most importantly, use this exercise to pave the way for play. In this exercise, you are simply walking people through the adventure you are about to take. I will leave a link for you to read up on it a little bit more in the show's notes. Now, with this exercise, you are inadvertently using future thinking. You're giving your participants a view of the adventure. It will be hard. It will be challenging. But we will surface victorious with gifts bring back to the world. How beautiful is that? And how playful too. I highly recommend for you to try this. All it takes is five minutes, but with those five minutes, you are paving the way for playful ideas to occur. Hero's Journey is the first of many collaborative exercises that you can facilitate. Now, do we really need collaboration in design? Of course we do. We need to have that in order to achieve playful and transformative ideas. Why do we need this? Well, we need it so that we can copy jazz musicians. Frank Camaro says that any step in the creative process brings the artist closer to the border that marks the end of inconclusive ideas and the start of innovative and novel ones. So let's take a look at jazz music. Jazz music is all about improvisation. Whether good or bad, musicians don't care. They allow themselves to suspend their disbelief. With music, they are answering the yes and. In UX, Answering the yes and is a lot more productive when you have many multidisciplinary minds in the room. Creativity researchers, beginning with Joy Paul Guilford in 1950, identified an important correlation between storytelling and play. At the spotlight, divergent thinking. Divergent thinking gives individuals broad associative skills, insight, cognitive flexibility, and perspective. Children need this as much as we need it as adults. Most importantly, divergent thinking involves the ability to generate a variety of ideas. It is no surprise that divergent thinking is one of the most important skills that we need in our field. Our careers are defined by how divergent we can be. The latter, coupled with a strong sense of our business needs, can be just what we need in order to innovate in our companies. 
What is interesting about play is that it not only fosters divergent thinking, play also produces themes of fantasy and memory, emotion, cognitive integration of affect, and the experience of joy in creative expression. So for us designers, when we're tasked with a big challenge, by bringing play to our exploration, research shows us that we could finish our tasks faster, happier, and create a much more empathetic solution. So what is one way of doing this in UX? If you're with a group of people, even by yourself as well, the 685 exercise is a wonderful tool for divergent thinking. You're really answering the yes and during this exercise. Take a piece of paper, fold it in eight squares. You have five minutes to create six to eight ideas. Most of us cheat. We might take six minutes to create those ideas. That is absolutely fine. The point of this exercise is to diverge within constraints. The exercise itself is very simple, and many of us are probably familiar with it. But I believe that we sometimes forget the most crucial part of the exercise. It is like squatting without bracing your core. The exercise allows us to do something extremely important in our field. It allows us to go near and far. We talked about this in our last episode. Let's take an artist, for example, working away on a canvas. The artist's interaction with the work is in a constant state of dynamic distance. They move in to inspect, then they move out to reframe the feature in the context of the entire work. This is what you need to be doing during a round of 685. Zoom in and out. Reframe your ideas in the context of the last ones. This is how you ensure that you're building on top of your previous ideas. Once again, you're answering the yes and. You're playing. For people in our field, play has the potential to be everything, to do anything. We learn with it, we fail with it. We devise our best plan yet with play. I'm here today to remind you to open your minds, to allow your mind to remember, to allow yourselves to be silly and misguided, if only for a moment. Remember how it felt like to be a kid. Remember the stories that made you who you are. Filmmaker Ingmar Bergman used childhood memories as catalysts for his screenplays. He says, I have maintained open channels with my childhood. I think it may be that way with many artists. Sometimes, in the night, when I'm on the limit between sleeping and being awake, I can just go through the door into my childhood and everything is as it was, with lights, smells, sounds, and people. Some of us have lost that dream world, and I'm here to ask you to find that door and open it once again. Memory helps our imagination find a place to grow. Your door to your dream world will always be in the same place. As designers, we can all apply unique foresight of narratives to solve some of our world's toughest, wicked problems. And kids, well, they are the best storytellers. Their stories might not all make sense, but hopefully by now you know that it doesn't matter. Because through play, through silly stories, we begin crafting our world, understanding our problems, and facing our fears. And so we're back. Two worlds separated by their distance, joined by their dichotomy, by how different they are. By now, we understand the value that each of these worlds bring to our consciousness and imagination. And by now, hopefully you realize that this is as much about dreams as it is about play. Now, I don't want to share with you tips on how to be a child again. You know how it feels like to be a kid. You each have your own unique way of playing. What I do want to leave with you, however, is a desire to continue the pursuit of exploration, 
to discover new creative pathways through techniques that are dormant within all of us. Our exploitations will never die, but our explorations run the risk of losing their influence if we don't give them enough attention. As designers and builders of the digital landscape, our main goal is not to build the next best looking thing. Our goal is to make life better for our fellow human beings. Through storytelling, through silly humor, we're able to both gain and share empathy with others. Through methods of exploration and storytelling, we open our world to wonder and optimism. Children never see boundaries. They only see opportunities. Kids don't fear failure. They play with it instead. If we bring this level of innocence and intent to the work that we do every day, there is no telling what kinds of solutions we could end up with. It all starts with your door, the door that will always bring you back to innocence, intent, failure, memory, optimism, and wonder. You all had these qualities in spades at some point in your lives. The trick now is to find it again. Hopefully by now, you'll know where to start. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was written, edited, and produced by me. If you know of any human beings that might like this type of content, let them know. This podcast is live at fullheartspodcast.com. See you next month.